From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. We talk faith, family, and fellowship on Open Line Tuesday. And today we're going to get a little bit of a reality check. You'll find out about that in just a minute. If you'd like to be part of the program, pick up one of these open phone lines and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1 205 271 2985 and you can always send us an email that email address is openline at ewtn.com I'm Jack Williams Michael McCall is producing the program your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts so if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook live You can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes, where are you off gallivanting to today? I am in Toledo, Ohio, giving a pre-Advent parish mission here, Jack, at St. Joseph Parish. So a shout-out to all of the St. Joseph parishioners there in downtown Toledo, and to their pastor, Father David Kidd, who's also the chaplain at the local Central Catholic High School. And Father Kidd lives at a neighboring parish's rectory. Uh, The pastor of this neighboring parish, Most Blessed Sacrament Parish, is Father Michael Geiger. So we give Father Geiger a shout-out as well, and also a shout-out to Father Geiger's staff, who have helped set me up for today's Open Line Tuesday Live Hour, so a shout out to Jeremy and to Krista, and also to some parishioners of Father Kids, again, the pastor of St. Joseph's in downtown Toledo, Joe and Tammy, Jay and Catherine, and Wes, who treated me an hour and a half ago to an absolutely wonderful early dinner, because when this radio show is over in an hour, I go straight to St. Joseph's to hear the pre- parish mission confessions. So it's been an active week, a great week. I want to thank everybody who's been coming out to the parish mission. And a shout out as well to my latest, my newest grandnephew, Benjamin Mm -hmm. Lewis Menezes, Mm -hmm. eight pounds, nine ounces, born in the great state of Iowa on the great solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, this past Sunday. And a shout out to his parents, my nephew Christian and his lovely wife, Heather Lynn. Where in Iowa? Uh, just outside Dubuque, Holy okay. Cross, yep. Iowa. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that's, good stuff. That's often. So, have you have you been to the cathedral in Toledo? I have, and it's quite quite beautiful. Oh, the cathedral my. of Our Lady, the Most Holy Rosary. It you, is beautiful. You it you would never expect to find an edifice like that in a town the size of Toledo, but yeah. you know, down at the turn of the 19th century, you know, they had a visionary pastor. 
a visionary yeah. bishop there. Yeah. And he boy, he made it happen, I'm gonna tell you. Oh yeah, it's one of the, one of the most beautiful cathedrals I have seen. Look it up online, Our Lady of the Most Holy Rosary Cathedral for the Diocese of Toledo in Ohio. So Father, we have a tendency as human beings, especially in the West, especially in America, of busying ourselves and worrying about things that are so insignificant in the grand scheme of things. What had we ought to be worrying about? <laughs> what a great question. As we prepare to exit this beautiful holy month of all souls, Jack, uh, November, and enter uh, next week into uh, the season of Advent, which focuses on the two comings of Christ, his first coming in the womb of his blessed mother as a babe in a manger in Bethlehem as well, and his second coming, of course, at the end of time, and what many of the church fathers called his intermediate third coming, meaning when the individual human person dies and receives their particular judgment, huh? And this is what it's important to focus on, that is to say, being eternity-minded. So as we exit November now and prepare to enter Advent, focusing again on the two uh, comings of Christ and also his intermediate third coming, very beautifully worded by the Church Fathers, I want to talk just about that. Thoughts on the importance of living eternity-minded, preparing for your own particular judgment. And my hope, Jack, is that we'll have some callers today or writers in on the sidebar there at our live YouTube page or our live Facebook page as to their witnessing a very holy and provided for death, even if it was a deathbed conversion, let alone somebody who was very well prepared for death and received all the elements of the last rites, including the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. So some thoughts on the importance of living eternity-minded, huh? Have you thought about what the Church calls your particular judgment? This is the eternal reckoning at the moment of our death, when each of our immortal souls will be judged based on how our life was lived in reference to Christ. It is also the instant when God declares whether or not we will go to heaven, either immediately or after a prior purification and purgatory, or to hell. Thinking about death and our particular judgment may stir up feelings of anxiety, uncertainty, and dread, which is why most of us put off such thoughts, living eternity-minded, at least until we face a serious crisis or illness. But this is not the mind of the Church. For example, she mentions the reality of judgment and the possibility of damnation and the beauty of entering heaven for all eternity throughout the sacred liturgy, Holy Mass. The Church traditionally dedicates November to honoring the dead and praying for the holy souls in purgatory, and it is a fitting time to reflect then upon our own death and to realize the importance of living eternity-minded, especially as we now enter into Advent, having exited uh, November of the holy souls. And remember, this coming Friday, December 1st, is the first Friday of the month in honor of the most sacred heart of Jesus. What a beautiful reality that is, and the first Saturday in honor of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Archbishop Fulton Sheen, regarding the particular judgment of each individual, cautions us with these words. He says, quote, Do not think when you go before the judgment seat of God for your particular judgment that you will argue a case. You will plead no extenuating circumstances. You will not ask for a new trial or a new jury. No. You will be your own judge. You will be your own jury. God will merely seal our judgment. End quote. Archbishop Fulton Sheen. In other words, Jack, our particular judgment will be an evaluation of ourselves, just as we really are before Almighty God. Thus, there is both prudence and wisdom in remembering the old Latin phrase, tempus fugit, memento mori. English, I'll tell you what the English is, time flies, remember death. 
Time flies, remember death. At the same time, I must remember that I will be judged, right, by the one who is both just and merciful. Each one of us must remember that. At my particular judgment, there will be no cries on my part of, that's not fair, God. No, my actions will judge themselves. Jesus, the merciful one, will not only show me my sins and how I came up short regarding virtue, but he will also show me how I amended my life. Moreover, all the sins I confessed and received forgiveness for in the sacrament of confession will have been wiped away. My forgiven sins, both mortal and venial, will only show how I both welcomed and received the mercy of God into my life, to God's own greater glory. Jesus, the just and merciful judge, will be there with his mercy at my particular judgment, sifting out the weeds of my life that grew along with the wheat. And it is my great and only hope that he will bring me home to heaven. In paragraph 1182 of her diary, Jack, St. Faustina Kowalska, the Divine Mercy Seer, records these words of our Lord spoken to her. He says, quote, My daughter, write that the greater the misery of a soul, the greater its right to my mercy. Urge all souls to trust in my unfathomable abyss of my mercy, because I want to save them all. And our Lord also counseled St. Faustina with these powerful words found in paragraph 1146 of her diary. I love these. He states, quote, Let the greatest sinners place their trust in my mercy. They have the right before others to trust in the abyss of my mercy. My daughter, write about my mercy toward tormented souls. Souls that make an appeal to my mercy delight me greatly. To such souls I grant even more graces than they ask. I cannot punish even the greatest sinner if he makes an appeal to my mercy, my compassion. But on the contrary, I justify him in my unfathomable and inscrutable mercy. Paragraph 1146 of her diary. Indeed, my friends, listening to Open Line Tuesday this hour live right now, in order to have true, deep, and lasting peace of soul, we ought to frequently and confidently recommend our souls to God and trust in his divine mercy that he will lead us to salvation. This is what living eternity-minded is all about. And mind you, living eternity-minded, not in a morose, macabre kind of way, no, but in a joyful, anticipatory way. It's like what Johnette, your lovely wife, Jack, wrote on the back of my book when she endorsed it, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell. She wrote, quote, this book filled me with hope and joyful anticipation of what is to come. May it do the same for you. So we look forward to the four last things, three of which will apply to each one of us. We look towards the three of the four last things that will apply to each one of us with great joy and anticipatory hope, not not with a macabre or morose kind of way. Give us a call. Tell us about a holy death you witnessed in your family or amongst a friend or a deathbed conversion and the importance of the last rites. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, Wings is EWTN's weekly e-newsletter. You can find out about EWTN radio and TV shows. Items from EWTN's religious catalog, very important this time of year, and a whole lot more. 
Sign up for Wings at EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-3986. Sometimes, Father Wade, we lose sight of the fact in all of the busyness and hecticness of everyday life um, that there's really only one thing that we need to worry about, and that is our own particular judgment, and uh, sometimes it's hard to, to stay focused on that. That, that's right, that's right. And so we want to live eternity-minded, again, in a joyful, anticipatory, hopeful way. Not where we're constantly thinking about death, but we're constantly thinking about the importance of living in a state of sanctifying grace with no known mortal sin on our soul, where we're living joyfully and committed as a faithful Catholic Christian, because we know we go to confession faithfully once a month, say in honor of the first Friday devotion to the Sacred Heart, or the first Saturday devotion in honor of the Immaculate Heart, both which are coming up this coming weekend. Uh, in my book, The Four Last Things That Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell, Jack, I write in a a section titled, Dying Well. Huh? How about that? Dying Well. Listen to this. Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, being just that, a good and holy mother, also teaches us the importance of praying for a holy and happy death. We read in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 1014, quote, The Church encourages us to prepare ourselves for the hour of our death. In the ancient litany of the saints, for instance, she has us pray, quote, From a sudden and unforeseen death, deliver us, O Lord. To ask the Mother of God to intercede for us at the hour of our death in the Hail Mary prayer, and to entrust ourselves to St. Joseph, who's what? the patron saint of a happy and holy death. Why? Because of the sacred tradition that tells us that when he died, St. Joseph, he was flanked on either side of his deathbed by his spouse, the Blessed Virgin, and his foster son, of which he was the guardian, of whom he was the guardian for, the God-man Jesus Christ. He's the patron saint of a happy death, St. Joseph, because of that very reason. I continue in this little section titled Dying Well. St. Joseph is considered the patron saint of a happy death because of an ancient tradition in the church that holds that on his deathbed, he was flanked by the Blessed Virgin Mary and Jesus Christ, his foster son, for whom he served as guardian. This is a beautiful experience that each one of us can ask for, that when we die, May it be such a holy death that we too will have the Blessed Virgin Mary standing on one side of us and our Lord Jesus Christ on the other side. St. Unipero Sarah says, quote, Of all the things of life, a happy death is our principal concern. That's a great point that you just made, Jack, right? The particular judgment. This is Unipero Sarah quoting Jack Williams. How about that? Of all the things of life, a happy death is our principal concern. For if we attain that, it matters little if we lose all the rest. But if we do not attain that, nothing else is of any value. Quote. By a happy death, we mean simply the following. Number one, five points. To die in a state of sanctifying grace, that is, with no known mortal sin on our soul that has not already been sacramentally forgiven. Number two, to receive the sacrament of the anointing of the sick if our death is preceded by an illness. Number three, to receive holy viaticum, that is, one's final holy communion. Number four, to have the prayers of commendation for the dying prayed over us, which includes the litany of the saints prayed over the individual. Go figure, huh? And the rite of the last rites, the five elements of the last rites, Holy Mother Church commands her priests to pray the litany of the saints over you when you're dying. How awesome is that, huh? And number five, to have the apostolic pardon, to receive the apostolic pardon, which also confers a plenary indulgence on the individual, provided the individual was open to such a great grace. 
what a gift we have in these five elements that constitute the last rites. And of course, if the person feels called to go to confession, Jack, and they're audible and or auricular, they can go to confession, of course. But to, to have those five elements of the last rites is a beautiful thing. To the phones we go. First up today is Nancy in Seattle, Washington, listening on, or watching us rather, on YouTube today. Nancy, thanks for so much for holding your on with Father Wade. Oh, hello, Jack, and hello, Father Wade. Um, I have just been so excited listening to what you've been teaching us today. And um, anyway, I, I, the reason I was calling was, um, well, Yesterday, uh, from my traditional Catholic calendar, uh, was uh, Our Lady of the Miraculous Medal. And then today is St. Catherine Labore's, uh, when she Feast received it. the Miraculous Medal. Now, the reason I, I went, I, I actually went online yesterday to the beautiful uh, Shrine and Basilica of the, Immacul- or the uh, Miraculous Medal, mm-hmm. and it was a beautiful, beautiful Mass. Uh, I just was so thrilled to have gone there, and I believe the bishop said that he had stood in the place where Catherine had kneeled and placed her uh, hands into the lap of the Blessed Mother. Mm. And um, uh, anyway, I know myself uh, that when I was a young girl many, many years ago, a beautiful woman who helped me and my brother gave us miraculous medals, and I wouldn't live, I wouldn't go around without it now. Now, um, you know, I've been trying, uh, because I have great devotion to St. Faustina, which you were speaking about, and to the Blessed Mother, and, um, you know, I, I pray daily, I pray the Litany of the Saints daily, I pray the Rosary daily, and people have been asking for my prayers, and, and people have been having some, you know, I'm very humbly and, and actually, you know, very overwhelmed by what uh, the, the powers are um, in sure. this miraculous devotion. And I just wondered, Father, if you could speak to me. I just feel so thirsty for um, your knowledge and, and your feeling and your depth uh, that I may um, have an even richer devotion than I do, because I yeah. just want to really place this right ahead of everything, and also in, in, in a closeness to a, a holy, happy death. Sure. You, well, it's an approved sacramental of the Church, the miraculous medal, as revealed to St. Catherine Laboré at her convent in Nevers, France. And it's interesting about the fully approved apparitions at Nevers, France. Uh, it's one of the uh, few, few instances where we have the visionary seer actually touching the Blessed Mother in the apparition. Now, that still could have been provided only as a miracle by God, where it, it was something in reality ethereal, but at least it was very, very real for Catherine. We don't know how God works out such miracles, but it is one of the cases where you're right. Our our, our great Saint Catherine Laboré placed her hands, her folded hands, in the lap of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who was seated at that moment. And it's a fully approved apparition, along with the messages given regarding to the striking of the medal, which Our Lady asked Catherine Laboré to do. And here are the promises. Uh, Those who wear the miraculous medal will receive great graces throughout their life, especially if they wear it around their neck and with great faith. Those who repeat the prayer on the medal, that is, O Mary conceived without sin, 
pray for us who have recourse to thee. That's in reference to her immaculate conception. Those who repeat this prayer that is struck on the medal uh, with devotion will be in a very special manner under the protection, the heavenly protection of the mother of God, who desires only one thing and one thing only, to lead all souls to her divine son, Jesus Christ. And the third promise, graces will be abundantly bestowed upon those who have confidence in this medal, graces especially regarding their state in life. So whether single or married or a consecrated priest, brother, sister, uh, active or contemplative, etc., uh, they will have abundant blessings bestowed upon their particular state in life or vocation. How does this tie into the message of living well and eternity-minded? Well, it prepares us for our particular judgment, as sacramentals do. Sacramentals are different from the sacraments, but they do aid us in receiving actual graces, like, like holy water is a sacramental. The rosary and the praying of the rosary is a sacramental. So they can afford us ex- extra actual graces, not the sanctifying grace of the seven sacraments, sacraments afford us, but actual graces from Almighty God, precisely because of the strong devotion that they help foster. Hope that helps you out. Thank you so much for a great question, Nancy, and we thank you also for your call from uh, Seattle, Washington today regarding Lourdes and the Miraculous Medal. And so we thank you so much. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Sarah in Imperial County, California, listening on St. John Paul II Catholic Radio. Sarah, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. Hi, how are you, everybody? Hi, Sarah. Um, Thank you for your call today. Thank you for receiving it. I am just wanting to share um, what I saw as a holy death of my grandma. Okay. Um, A great woman of faith. Ever since I can remember, she would go to church, and she would walk to church two or three blocks away from Mm. her house. Mm. And she was like 80-something when she passed away. Mm. And she would still walk to church. Not until the end of her days, like, it didn't even last a month when she started getting sick. And then she needed the hospital like two weeks before she passed. And from the hospital, they send her home. She was a rosary person also, every day, every day, rosary, mm-hmm. mass, and frequent confession. Mm-hmm. So, um, and she was a very happy lady. Everybody uh-huh. would look for her for, you know, uh, words of wisdom and stuff. And that was very very nice of her, and she was very happy. She would play with the little two, three years old, like she was two, three years old. So <laughs> it was a wonderful lady. She, she sounds like she had a very <laughs> joyful disposition. Sarah, were you yes. with her at her bedside at the very moment of her passing? Yes, I was. Yes, mm, I was, and that's grace. what broke me. Like either she was faint or she was very close because. At the very end, of course, at the hospital, we were praying rosaries with her. And then suddenly, um, the doctors had already told us she's left, she's leaving. Right. And then suddenly she said, I want my my Christ. Mm. And my mom turned around and looked at me and said, go get him. Who? Christ? (laughs) And, And she said, go get the Christ on top of her bed, the bed, the one on top of her bed. Okay, I ran, I got it, I came back, and I gave it to Grandma. And she hugged it like like nothing else she had hugged before, like with a lot of love in her chest. 
Did, was, she able to re- was she able to receive Christ truly present in the most blessed sacrament of the altar, the Holy Eucharist, in his body, blood, soul, and divinity? Was the priest able to visit it all towards those last hours, or, or soon before those last hours took effect? Yes. Yes. Oh, beautiful. And I commend you. I commend you and your family for knowing what to do to call the priest to offer to your beautiful grandmother the five elements that constitute the last rites, that is, the anointing of the sick, uh, confession if the person feels they need to go, prayers of commendation for the dying, holy viaticum, which your grandmother was able to receive, praise God, one's final holy communion, and also the apostolic pardon. What a, what a beautiful thing. Were, were there uh, a good number of relatives um, present when that there, happened? There was a good re- number of relatives, but they didn't want to go into the room. Mm. Well, we thank you so much, Sarah, for a beautiful, beautiful witness call, a beautiful witness call about the, the, the wonderful and beautiful passing of your, of your grandma with the last rites. Thank you so much. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. One open line. The race is on. 833-288-3986. Susan is in Columbia, Missouri today, listening on Covenant Radio. Susan, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. Uh, I was just calling. I have um, a niece who is really heavily into astrology. Mm -hmm. and um, she doesn't go to church, um, but she's heavily into it. Now she's influencing others. What? Um, I don't feel it's something we should be into. I want to know exactly what the Catholic teaching is on all these different things. You know, there's all these, um, oh, what do they call it, Um, things out there that they think that they need to touch the, I forget what they call them, and um, how how would I handle a situation like this? And invite your niece niece to read the wonderful section in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, where it's taught very clearly and simply, really, that the, the Catholic Church maintains that such things as predictive astrology and divination... Uh, are both incompatible with modern Catholic beliefs, such as free will. The whole thing with astrology is that you want to predict the future. Well, that's putting yourself in God's place, and that's usurping the very place of God. That's the, that's the first and foremost evil of uh, predictive astrology. You're, you're trying to maintain how things are going to be the outcome of, or, or how the outcome of things are going to be. So the Catechism of the Catholic Church maintains very clearly, it's a beautiful section, it's written very simply, that uh, divination, uh, including uh, predictive astrology, is incompatible with modern Catholic beliefs, such as human free will, and also the omnipotence of God. And as such, all forms of divination are to be rejected, and also recourse to Satan or demons, of course, uh, such things as conjuring up the dead or other practices, falsely supposed to unveil, quote-unquote, the future. All these things are supposedly done to unveil the future, to predict the future. This is why they're evil. 
So uh, if you got a copy of the Universal Catechism, begin with the glossary, just with the word like uh, divination, um, uh, and, and it'll tell you exactly what, what section to go to. Uh, it's, it's definitely worth reading. It's, it's, a, it's an important section uh, because it tells us that such things as consulting uh, horoscopes, palm reading, uh, interpretation of omens and lots. See, all these things want to do the same thing that astrology wants to do, right? Um, and recourse to mediums of any type, all conceal a desire for power over time, history, and in the end, the last analysis of things. And also, mind you, a, a, a wanting to control other human beings, uh, as well as a wish to uh, to, to kind of like conciliate hidden powers. And all these things, really, they contradict the honor, respect, and loving fear that we owe to both God and neighbor. We need to respect God for his omnipotence, and we need to respect our neighbor for their own free will and how they live out their life of grace with God. Okay, we don't want to try to predict something over them by leading them to false entities. So I, w- I would urge you to do that, uh, begin with the catechism, and then, you know, you want to meet her where she's at, you want to approach her with love, and uh, uh, talk to her about these things, and then maybe have that section of the catechism say say to your niece, you know, say, I- I, honey, I would just love for you to take out a few a few moments to read this, it would mean a lot to me as your aunt. Uh, do you happen to be her godmother by chance? Uh, no, I okay. wish I was. Yeah, because I was only going to say that because you would be enacting your authority in that office, which has special graces attached to it. We forget about that, right? It's like the husband being the, 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 the Christ figure of the home, the priest figure of the home. There's special graces that come with that office. How about the wife being the heart figure of the home, the church figure of the home? The image of the bride of Christ, the church herself, is the wife. There's special graces that come with that office. Same with the older sibling over the younger siblings. There's a grace of office that comes with that. So the same thing with godparents, okay? They have a special graced office precisely as the godparent. And we forget these things, that God gives these offices special graces when talking to the other. Uh, The the section on horoscopes, uh, uh, astrology, divination, can be found beginning with paragraph 2116 of the Universal Catechism of the Catholic Church, which every Catholic home should have a copy of, along with the compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is a great question and answer book. You can get that at your local Catholic bookstore as well, or at EWTNRC. I'm telling you, right now, folks, the Universal Catechism, the Compendium of the Catechism, and a copy of Sacred Scripture, of course, and St. Faustina's Diary, which helps us to live eternity-minded. These four staple texts should be part and parcel in every Catholic home library, along with the lives of the saints and Thomas Akimpis' The Imitation of Christ. Uh, I'm going to keep going with books, Jack, so I better stop. (laughs) But, uh, you know, we need a good, solid great solid Catholic home library, and and these uh, uh, two texts uh, in large part, the Universal Catechism, which itself is a, is a, is a compendium of Scripture, it, it quotes Scripture so much, the Universal Catechism does, along with the compendium of the Catechism, uh, those two uh, especially. Thank you so much for a, a great uh, question today. We really appreciate it. Lisa is a first-time caller in Omaha, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Lisa, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. How are you? I'm doing great, Lisa. How are things in Omaha? Oh, pretty good. I don't live there anymore. Um, A a couple years ago, we moved to a small town um, in a neighboring state, 
and um, we we're friends of one of the of the lo- one of the local Catholic churches. And what I mean is, we kept our membership where we were. It's about okay. a fifty minute drive, but we make it. Um, but my question to you is, um, I've noticed that um, the priest at um, this church he doesn't wear his priestly attire. And I've never, ever seen that, ever. And um, I don't know what really to make of that, if I should make anything at all of it. And that is my question. Um, should he be? Or is yes, that I, think, not I think he should, especially when he is in official capacity, like, like in between Masses on Sunday. Of course, during Mass, he'll have his priestly vestments on. But if he changes in between Masses, or he goes to a neighboring church to perform a baptism, you know, he, he's driving in his alb, he can keep his alb on and drive to the neighboring parish for the, for the uh, baptism, or maybe he'll, he'll uh, take off the alb and chasuble at his parish, and when he drives to the baptism, he'll be in his clericals. I mean, he's, he's walking the walk and talking the talk. In my opinion, yes, I, I think it's a sign and symbol, not only of his consecration as a priest, a priest of Jesus Christ, one who acts in pursuit persona Christi one the, in the person of Christ, one who acts in persona Christi capitis in the person of Christ the head, an official cleric of the church. I think, I think the, the, the clerical collar is extremely important, and I think it sends a message to your people. Um, now, do they absolutely, uh, are they absolutely bound to wear it? I would have to research that, uh, I'm talking diocesan men now, as opposed to, say, a religious order priest with his habit. Um, is he absolutely bound to wear it as a cleric? as a cleric of the diocesan priesthood, I would have to research that, but I would think that the, even if there's nothing specifically on that, I would say that the mind of the Church, we're very safe in saying that the mind of the Church, quote-unquote, would say that he would wear his clericals, whether, whether the clerical suit or the black cassock with the Roman collar, and surely on Sundays uh, and before Mass, when, the, when he walks through the church to go get vested, the people see him, maybe they're praying the rosary, rosary before Mass, and they're seeing that. You know, I, I consider my, my habit, my wearing the Roman collar, even if I go into town and do some shopping, I mean, it, it's, it's a sign of my consecration. Now, I'm a religious order priest, I'm with the Fathers of Mercy, I consider it a sign not only of my consecration, it's also a sacramental, it's blessed, my habit's blessed. It, it also functions as my wedding ring when I wear the Roman collar, even if I'm in, the, in, the, in a clerical shirt with the black sports coat, in other words, the suit, the, the clerical suit, as opposed to the habit, if I'm walking through an airport or something, you know, it's a sign of my marriage uh, to the Bride of Christ, the Church, you know. Um, so, you know, I might be asked by a non-Catholic, Father, do you, are you a Catholic priest? Yes, I am. Uh, do you Catholic priests get to marry? Oh, sure, we get to marry. My bride's 2,000 years old, <laughs> you know. I love my bride. <laughs> She's 2,000 years old. And they look at me like, what are you talking about? You know, so it opens up a great conversation. But yes, the Roman collar is a great, great great uh, sign in the midst of the modern world uh, of the consecration of the priest, whether diocesan or religious order, and a sign to his people that he acts in persona Christi, in persona Christi capitis. Great question. And, you know, I might add, Lisa, what you could do, you know, you could, you could uh, employ St. Thomas Aquinas's three hallmarks of giving fraternal correction— when we want to be very fraternal and give somebody a correction, uh, it's to be done privately, charitably, and rarely. It's to be done privately so as not to embarrass the person in front of other people. 
Uh, it's to be done charitably, because charity is the queen of the virtues, faith, hope, and love, and the, and the greatest of these is love, we're told in the New Testament. And it's to be done rarely, because they're an adult. They got to work it out for themselves, right? So privately, charitably, and rarely, uh, approach your pastor and say, Father, um, I notice you don't you don't wear the the Roman collar very often, at least not that I've seen. And I don't ask him why he doesn't. Just say this instead, rather than asking him why he doesn't, because that's really irrelevant. Say, Father, I'd like you. I'd like to encourage you to wear it, because Father, it's such a sign of your consecration. It's such a sign of your fatherhood to us as our pastor. It's such a sign of your leadership in the parish. And a, a sign like that, Father, just the, the black clerical suit or the Roman cassock or the, with, with the white collar can say so, so much to your people, Father, and our respect for you and lead to our greater respect for you and of your leadership over us, especially in helping us live an active sacramental economy and living out our own baptisms and confirmations uh, supported by regular Eucharist and confession, etc. That type of thing. Say, Father, I notice you don't you don't wear the collar. I want to encourage you to, rather than asking him why he doesn't, encourage him to. It'd be a beautiful thing. But privately, charitably, and rarely. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much for a great question and a very concerning question as a daughter of the church and and a, as a daughter also of your your pastor, um, your father there in the parish. A, a genuine concern for for him. That that shows a goodwill on your part, and I commend you on that. God bless you now. Congratulations going out to another member of the EWTN Radio family. Our Lady of Victory Radio, KVIO in Lubbock, Texas, is celebrating nine years with us. Congratulations to Jonathan Metzger and everyone at KVIO in Lubbock from your friends here at EWTN Radio. Will is up next. He's in Columbus, Ohio, listening to our great affiliate there, St. Gabriel Radio. Will, you're on with Father Wade Menezes. Hi, Father Wade. Hi, Jack. How are you? Hey, Will. We're doing great. Thank you so much. Uh, our guys, our guys, study there at the Josephinum in Columbus. So there a shout out to Father Victor and our guys that are there. I've served mass for Father Victor. He's a good man. He speaks well of you as well. Well, that's good to know. Great. So, so briefly, uh, both of my parents died in the last eleven years. My mother in 2012. My father in 2020. Um, my mother was a, uh, daily rosary sayer, um, but had a lot of troubled things happen in her past where mm. she held on to a lot of bitterness. Um, but she, she believed in the church and she believed, uh, in, in the redemption of Christ's suffering. So she, uh, wanted the sacraments at the end of her life. She wore her her uh, scapular, her brown scapular, faithfully, and asked, and we had, we've had rosaries, we were saying rosaries in her room at the nursing home, Divine Mercy Chapel at the end of her life, and then we had one of the good Dominicans from St. Patrick, Father Blau, come and uh, give her last rites and the apostolic pardon. She was unable to have her confession heard because she wasn't wasn't speaking at that point at the end. Okay, and which so, which in he, which case in which case it's, it's good to say it right here. 
in which case, uh, Will, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick doubles as confession for both venial and mortal sins. That's a point about the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, a sacrament of healing, that a lot of Catholics don't realize. So we have the three sacraments of initiation, the two sacraments of union, uh, marriage and holy orders, and the two sacraments of healing, confession and the anointing of the sick. When one is non-auricular, okay, they're not able to speak, or they're in a comatose sp- state, they're non-auricular and, or non-audible, we could say as well, uh, then the sacrament of the anointing of the sick doubles as confession. That's a beautiful thing. Then should they recover, praise God, should they recover and they're able to speak, then they are duty-bound to confess any known mortal sins that they've never taken to the confessional before. But should they not recover, then the sacrament of the anointing of the sick doubles as confession. Wonderful. And and so my father, who is not a very devout man his whole life, dabbled in Christian science and all kinds of other things in his youth, uh, was during COVID, uh, they kept calling alarming signals from the nursing home that he needed to be attended to because he was in the uh, throes of death. So finally, on, uh, right before St. Faustina's feast day, I had a lot of problems with uh, the arrangements for his death and all these sorts of things. I asked heaven to uh, allow him to die on uh, St. Faustina's feast day. The same priest, Father Thomas Blau, O.P., was called in (laughs) to give him last rites, a viaticum, and uh, here's confession in the apostolic pardon, and in fact, walked out and said, well, he's greased up and ready to go. The devil can't catch him. <laughs> so Beautiful. my father Was this the same priest that attended to your mother? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. It and it was eight, year, eight years apart, their two deaths, correct? Correct. And Correct. the same priest attended to both parents eight years apart on their deathbed. How beautiful is that? Talk about acting in persona Christi, in persona Christi capitis. Talk about the grace of the office, you know, and how beautiful that is, and why it's more important to show the collar, right? To show the, that, that reality of the consecrated soul of the priest and what he can do regarding the last rites. What, what a beautiful thing. Go ahead and, and, and wrap it up, Will. Yeah, yeah. The last thing I wanted to say is, I appealed to heaven on that Sunday for my father to die on Faustina's feast day. He did, and in fact, he died at 3.55 during the the Divine Mercy Hour, So, as I prayed the Divine Mercy Chaplet. So God put his period on that sentence. Wow, how beautiful is that? That that is great. That is fantastic. You know, something that dovetails with your statements just now, Will, I want to say this. I'm sure many of my brother priests can vouch for this, what I'm about to say. It's happened several times. I know we Fathers of Mercy have talked about it before at table, for example. When we approach uh, a dying person, whether in a nursing home, in a hospital, or in their private home, and we get there because the family has called the priest. Someone in the family has called the priest to come administer the, the last rites, which again are those five primary elements, uh, the anointing of the sick, confession, uh, the prayers of commendation for the dying, holy viaticum, and the apostolic pardon. Uh, when the, someone in the family has called the priest to come to the dying loved one's bedside, whether it's in the private home, the nursing home, or the hospital, 
when we arrive, when the priest arrives, I'll talk about myself. I'll use myself as, as an example. When I arrive at that location to give the last rites to the dying person, I can tell you right now that I pretty much am always correct as to whether or not the loved one standing around the deathbed of the dying loved one practice their Catholic faith or not. And here's how I know, and I'm sure a lot of my brother priests could vouch for this. If I get there, and I give a, a slight knock on the door, and I've, I've been let into the house already by somebody else, and then I go to the bedroom or I go to the nursing home, and I give a slight knock on the door because everybody's gathered around the deathbed of the loved ones, and so their backs are to me, right? Let's say 12 relatives are gathered around the deathbed of the loved one, and their backs are to me. So I'll give, I'll give a light knock on the, on the door jam, letting them know that I've arrived there in the room. When they turn around and see me, if it is a sign of joy on all of these relatives' faces, hey, Father, come on in. Father, we're so glad you came. Father, we were just beginning the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Can you, you want to lead it for us, Father? Can you start it for us? And Father, by the way, we just ordered three large pieces, pizzas. They should be here within 10 or 12 minutes, Father. Please stay and enjoy. Oh, my gosh, Grandma's dying. They're, they're praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. They're thrilled the priest is there. And they've ordered pizza to boot. Now, these are Catholics who practice their Catholic faith because they know exactly the great eternity that awaits grandma. Now, here's the other scenario. I arrive at the room. I give a slight knock on the door. The 12 relatives turn around and they see the Roman collar. And a look of horror comes over their faces. Chances are they're lapsed Catholics who know nothing about living eternity-minded. They know nothing about the last rites. They know nothing about the four last things because they have turned their back on their Catholic faith for whatever reason. And it's a travesty, and the devil loves it. So what do I do in a case like that, that latter case? you got to be very, very patient, very, very loving. Go through the entire ritual of the last rites. You may not be able to give confession, because the person's already comatose, let's say, but you give the other elements and you won't be able to give holy viaticum. But during each process of those elements of the last rites, you give a little catechesis very gently and lovingly on how beautiful it is that their dying grandmother is able to receive these beautiful rites of the church that bring to fulfillment her living out her baptism since she was an infant, living out her confirmation, living out her first Holy Communion, and all the times throughout her life she received Holy Communion. And, and you make it a catechetical moment for those relatives around the bed of grandma who don't practice the faith. What's my point with all of this? Because it echoes beautifully from everything you just said, Will. I can tell you pretty much right off the bat, when I arrive at a dying person's bedside, if whether or not the relatives and loved ones standing around the bedside of the dying person practice their Catholic faith or not, you can tell. And the joyful ones who have even ordered pizza to enjoy and eat the pizza around grandmother's dying bed, who are thrilled that the priest just arrived at the Holy Oils and with Holy Communion, the Eucharist, to get, administer to grandma, that's living your Catholic faith. 
That's a beautiful thing. Will, thank you so much for a a fantastic, awesome call. I I really appreciate it. We need to witness to our relatives about the beauty of living eternity-minded, getting back to practicing our Catholic faith, getting to know what the Church teaches about dying and dying well, as I say in the four last things. And Will, the fact that the same priest administered the last rites to both of your parents, eight years apart, almost a decade apart, just shows the power of Almighty God in the priesthood. Thank you so much, Will. Quickly, we'll head to Whitman, Massachusetts. Sue is a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Sue, thank you so much for holding your on with Father Wade. Of course. Hi, Father Wade. Hello, Sue. I am... Hi, hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I called because um, I just got out of work. I work at our um, local cancer center as um, as a medical office coordinator, and I came into the show uh, listening to that young lady talking about her grandmother who had passed and she was very religious and yeah. um, and that experience. So yes. I was moved to mm-hmm. I was moved to tell you about about my mom. We just Beautiful. celebrated we just celebrated my mother's tenth anniversary of her passing. Okay. My mother did not have a happy life. My father left when I was six, and um, and he never returned to the house. He just went to work one day and never came back. My mother had a very difficult life. I mean, my mother was just beaten down. She suffered from depression and agoraphobia, and, and um, she became... She was very frail, but she became more and more ill. To make a long story short, Father, um, my mother was in the hospital for about 10 days, and uh, we knew that she was, you know, getting close, but we weren't exactly sure how close. I got a call from the hospital, and they said that my mother had passed. This was at 9.30 on November 30th, 2013. When I got to the hospital, Father Wade, I saw a look on my mother's face that I didn't recognize. It was a beautiful, joyous smile. It was like the greatest gift that God could have given me. Beautiful. Seeing my mother with that look on her face, and I'm a practicing Catholic. I love my Catholic faith. I, you know, um, I just love it. We just had a Mass at her church. I don't live in that town anymore, but mm-hmm. I just wanted to share that. I, I just felt called Beautiful. to share that that and, my and, mother had that. And she had already passed. She had already passed, you said, and when you saw this beautiful smile on her face. This was post, uh, post her passing. Is that correct? Yeah. How beautiful is that? You know, uh, and, and the wonderful thing is, too, November 30th of 2013, her 10-year anniversary of her passing is coming, which is probably why you had the recent Mass set for her back at that parish in your home area, which tells me about the importance of suffrages and offering prayers and Masses for the dead 
that we both know and don't know. So your, your witness call leads beautifully into the importance of offering suffrages for the dead. Thank you so much, Sue, for a great call. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us on behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, producer Michael McCall, call screener Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until then, God bless.